How are you doing? Well, here we are in uh, year 47 of the lockdown, and uh, doesn't it seem like it's been a long time? It has been a long time. And uh, thank you, uh, 39 years. It just seems like that. In, so, in one respect, it's a long time. Another respect, it's just like a moment in time. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to serve and to serve you and to minister to you. It's been, it's continues to be a great joy. And uh, some people keep trying to ask me when I'm going to retire, like they're trying to retire me. And uh, I'm not, that's not happening anytime soon. So don't get your hopes up. Uh, <laughs> somebody asked me this week. So they said, so uh, are you retiring? I said, no, no, I'm not retiring. So, so hope you're doing great. Uh, you know, we're going to begin meeting together uh, soon. And I don't know exactly when that is. We're still, we're still you know, watching. Uh, the one thing that we don't want to do is open up and then because of the numbers, take a jump after kids go back to school, have to shut back down. So we're probably going to wait a little bit after school. Kids get back in school, get to uh, see how things are going with everyone. And... Uh, we're going to get, better, get back together as soon as possible. Uh, we're missing you, miss getting to see you. Thank you so much for, uh, I know many of you are watching, uh, and, you know, I could get on to those who aren't watching, but they're not watching, so it won't help. Uh, so, uh, so here we are. We're in the final chapter of David's life. We're at the end of his life, and, and what, that, uh, what that means, we've had a, you know, in the study of the life of David, one of the things that you see is that you see that God takes a, a, a fallible man and uses him for his glory and uses him to establish the eternal kingdom of the Messiah. I mean, David is the, the lineage of David is the eternal kingdom of the Messiah. So it's, he takes this broken man who has faith, who has struggles. We've seen him killing giants. We've seen him victorious in battle. Uh, we've seen resisting the temptation to hate Saul, who is trying to kill him over and over and over again. We've also seen him at the depths of failure, uh, the sexual abuse of Bathsheba, uh, the subsequent murder of her innocent husband, Uriah the Hittite. He was a mixture of greatness and weakness. You know why? Because he was a man. Even if he had been a woman, he had been a mixture of greatness and weakness. It is the reality of humanity that we have struggles. He was, a, he was a man of unbelievable faith. And then at times, you can read in the Psalms, he was overcome by panic and fear. And was, was struggling to put his trust in God. Uh, there were other times that he did seek revenge, and there were other times that he was very forgiving. Uh, he's just a lot like you and me. That's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to David, because he's, you know, he's so similar to us. And it's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible, one of the many reasons why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. If I was going to make this up, I'd make my heroes look better. I would have Abraham, the father of our faith, actually have faith and not 
instead, you know, choose uh, Hagar as a, as a plan B because he didn't trust God. I would have had David with less faults, and I certainly would have had me with less faults. How about you? So this, is, this just ends on a couple of, a couple of things that, that just catch my attention. And, you know, this may not speak to you at all, but this is to me is, is some, sometimes the Bible tells us crazy stuff. You agree with that? Yes. Thank you for the three of you in here that agree with that. Uh, 1 Kings 1, 1, 4, 1 through 4. When David was very old, he could not keep warm even when they put covers on him. So his attendant said to him, let, let us, this is the, the solution to this, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout, the, throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. And just, you know, we get this insight, but the king had no sexual relations with her. It was not a sexual relationship. It was her job was that she was, before there were electric blankets, she was the original electric blanket. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is where they got the term of describing a woman as hot. Ah, put on bump. That's my dad joke for the day, right? So, I mean, that's, isn't that crazy? So her, her job is to take care of him and snuggle with him at night to keep him warm because he's, you know, he's old and he's got bad circulation and he's cold at night and so he can't sleep. Now, here's the reality. David, at this point, he had, at least living with him, he had at least that we know of eight wives. And most of them would have now been in menopause. Now, you think about wanting a hot wife. A menopausal woman can burst into flames at any moment. <laughs> and he had, he had, okay, you may not be getting this. So... <laughs> So he had plenty of hot women around him. Uh, so then, while all of this has happened, so David is in the last days of his life. So, so who would have been the next son in line? Adonijah decides that he wants to become king. So while David is still alive, he leads a revolt. He gets Joab, the commander of the army. He gets Abathar, the priest, to go with him. And they go and have a celebration that he's going to be king. So that inspires David to do what he is committed to do. And he instead, David, announces that Solomon is going to succeed him as king. And he puts Solomon on the throne and in his place. But he doesn't, you know, the, the natural thing that would happen is that Solomon would kill his brother Adonijah, who is the threat to the throne. But he tells his brother, if you'll go and behave, you know, if you'll not cause me any trouble, then you'll be safe. So Adonijah comes in a while uh, after David has passed, Solomon is on the throne, 
And he goes to Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mother, and she, he asks her, I don't know why he got, doesn't go to his own mother, who also a, has been a wife of David, but he goes through Bathsheba uh, and asks her to ask Solomon on his behalf that he can marry this woman, this Abishag, that had been with David. And Solomon says, you know, what more can I give him but the kingdom? This is just a move. This is just a move for him to take over the kingdom. So in relationship to that, then David does, I mean, not David, Solomon, then does have uh, Adonijah killed because he's trying to take over as king. One of the next things we read about is that Solomon writes this love story that we call the Song of Solomon. And in the Song of Solomon, the, the woman in the love story is a Shunammite woman. So now, before we read, she was a Shulamite woman, and now it's a Shunammite woman. And uh, the reality is, this, these two words describe the same place of origin. Shunammite and Shulamite. So it's possible, and it would make sense to me, that one of the reasons why we have this story because is that this woman is this Abishag, the Shunammite. This woman is who <laughs> the Shulamite woman of the Song of Solomon that we have this story about. And uh, there's no particular point there. It's just interesting to me. Uh, so maybe, you know, so what's God telling us in this story? Well, maybe when you get old, hang around young people. And they'll help you stay young. They will. And uh, if nothing else, they can help you figure out how to get the emails back on your phone. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and what's going on with your new phone, you know. So you need that. You need young people around you. Keep young people around you. They'll help you, they'll help you keep young. And they'll help correct you from things that maybe you didn't realize you needed correcting about. Things that, you know, were part of your culture that now we realize are culturally way off base. And so they'll maybe help you. So now we get to the final chapter in David's life. First Chronicles 29, 26. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years. Seven in Hebron, three in Jerusalem. 33 in Jerusalem. That makes it 40. He died at a good old age. Having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor, his son Solomon succeeded him as king. Now, when we read about Saul, who is the king before David, so Saul is the king before David that God replaces with David. And I just want to tell you, I just want to show you some things that stand out to me that I think are kind of interesting. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, 1 Samuel 13, 1 says. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. So David became king when he was 30, and he reigned for 40 years. First Chronicles 10, 13, this talks about why, David, why Saul died. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord, and he did not keep the word of the Lord, and even consulted a medium for guidance. 
And he did not inquire of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. And then David is king. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. First Chronicles 29, David was son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron, three in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded in his place. So God killed Saul, and he lived 72 years. David lived to a good old age, and he lived 70 years. Saul died in battle at 72 with a sword in his hand. He actually ended up taking his own life because he had been wounded in, a, in, in the final battle of his life, you know, with the Philistines, of course. And David died in his bed cold and weak. Now, does that seem fair? <laughs> Think about it. I mean... This, I mean, you know, because we, we're, you know, we're always figuring out if this is fair or right or if this is what God should do or not. And so, I mean, does that seem fair to you? And when you think about it, I would say, if you're like me, you would say probably not. Because I think, don't we, we kind of have this mental picture that if we serve God, doesn't he owe us a long life? I mean, so how much time and how long a life did God owe to David? No, none. Zippo. How many days does God owe you and me? Zero. See, so it's, sometimes it's our perspective. What we're doing is that we're comparing. If, if David compared himself to Saul, he could have spent the life, instead of it being a good old age, as the scripture said, he died at a good old age, blessed, happy. He could have, he could have died miserable because he could, have, he could have walked around the house and said, well, that Saul lived to 72, and God's taking me home now. That's not fair. It's not, it doesn't seem fair to us. But we need to recognize that God doesn't owe us anything, that every day that we get, every day that we give, get is a gift from God. Every moment is not an obligation. It is something that God has given us to be enjoyed. Every day for the believer is a delay from the greater gift of God's unmeasured presence. Actually, every, every you know, you, you think David, once, once he stepped into the presence of the Lord, said, well, I wish I was back laying in that bed cold. No. He, he entered into his, the joy of the reward of the unmeasured presence of God. So this was, in, you know, we don't see it the way God sees it. We're clinging to what we can see. And what we can't see is better. It's more glorious. So we need to have that mentality. We're looking we're looking for the promise. I'm sure that David was more excited about going to be with God in eternity. I, I'll bet he said, hey guys, I'm ready. Than Saul was about going to eternal punishment. I bet Saul was not thinking he was ready. So let's enjoy the gift of today. 
Let's use it for what God wants us to accomplish. God, God has you here. God had David to, for a purpose. When his purpose was gone, he took him home. God has you here for a purpose. When your purpose for this time here on earth is gone, he's going to take you home. Rejoice in what you have. Rejoice in the time you have. So the Bible describes David. God, from the very beginning, describes David as a man after God's own heart. He says, I'm going to look for a man after, he said, I have found a man after my own heart, which is interesting because he said this to Samuel two years into Saul's reign. So Saul has only reigned for two years, and then he messes up really bad, and God says, okay, I'm going to replace him, and I'm going to put a man, I'm going to replace him with a man after my own heart, which is going to be David. And he says this 10 years before David is even born. So 10 years before David is born, God says, I've got a man coming, because God's not limited by space-time. I've got a man coming who's, who's got a, is a man after my own heart. Acts 13 says it this way. When they asked for a king, God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had moved him, he, after he'd removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So what does it mean to be a, a man after God's heart? Well, I think we get a couple of clues in the life of David. One is that David had a heart for worship. David was a worshiper. Because of that, because of David's connection with God through worship, David had a deep understanding of the nature and character of God, incredible understanding of the nature and character of God. Sitting for hours in the fields with the sheep singing unto the Lord, God gave David insight that few people in the Scripture had. He saw Jesus on the cross. <laughs> he, 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 he saw the Lord as his shepherd. He wrote 73 incredible worship songs. We call them psalms. 73 of the psalms. That's all that we know. That means they're probably not all in the book. But he wrote worship songs. He made instruments so that, so that they would enhance the worship time. Some of you are a little, uh, that doesn't always enhance the worship time for you, but that's the way God saw it. That's the way David saw it. This is what David says, Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I'll praise you. I will extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. You can just see David out on the hillside. He's singing this. He's looking up at the stars. You know, it's a <laughs> dark, dark night, clear night, and he's looking into the expanse of the universe, and he's thinking, oh, our God spoke this into existence, and he's great and unfathomable. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty works. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. He wrote psalm after psalm like this of incredible depth 
of the nature and character of God, where he talked about the love of God and the, the forgiveness of God and the holiness of God, the protection of God. He's going to guard you under the, his wings. He's a refuge. He's a rock. Because he, he spent years running from Saul, and God protected him, and he, he learned to trust that God was going to protect him. So this worship for God birthed in him with that, I would say, is a great love for God. A man after God's own heart is that he gets a hold of how much God loves him and how much God loves us. And so because of that, David loves God. A man after his own heart. God is a God of love. What's he going to create within us? God is love. So if we're after God's heart, what are we going to be? We're going to be people that love God. Psalm 18.1, David says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, and again, there's psalm after psalm where he's talking about how, how God's caring for him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's that revelation and relationship. So he has a revelation who God is, and he has a relationship with God. I mean, everything that Jesus did was to bring you into relationship with God. God loves relationship. God is a relational God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect relationship. And God wants to invite you into his eternal family. God is a God of relationship. All that we see that exists, everything that has been created, has been created for the exact purpose of creating an opportunity for you to be in relationship with with your heavenly Father. So God creates the universe, and then he reveals himself, because there's no way for us to know him any more than there is for the characters of of a book to know the author of the book. Unless, unless the author of the book steps into the story. So he stepped into our story, which is his story. So, so David has a relationship with this awesome God that he has connected with, that he's singing about. So this has an effect on him. This gives him incredible faith. So when he faces difficulty... He's learned to trust in God. 1 Samuel 17, 3, when he is facing the giant that all of the men of Israel are afraid to face, Saul, the king of Israel, who is taller than everybody else, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was probably about as tall as the giant. You know, he's taller at least. They're not willing to face the giant, but David, the little, you know, 15-year-old kid who shows up, bringing his brother's food, he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, where did that faith come from? It didn't come from nothing. 
It grew. His faith grew. His faith grew in that field, worshiping God. You know, we sing a song, this is how I fight my battles. What is it saying? What's that song saying? This is how I fight my battles. It said, I fight my battles because I focus on the nature and character of God. I fight my battles in worship. I lift up a praise to God, and, and in that, my faith is raised. And so that I put my trust in the Lord, and I, and I believe in him. David said, hey, you know, a lion and a bear showed up. The Lord delivered me. The Lord, he, you know what he said? He said, the Lord did it. He said, in the same way the Lord did that, he's going to help me overcome this giant. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. He did. So his relationship produced giant-killing faith. Worship and relationship. When you believe God loves you, when you love God, that's the commandment, love God with all of your heart. When you love God and God loves you, that relationship, and you tie that with a relationship with a with worship that helps you understand how big God is, and you, you get to understand. See, worship helps you see that God is way bigger than any problem you got. So that increases our faith. When David ran into trouble, he ran to God. Anytime David got in trouble, he got in trouble quite a bit. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, David spent a lot of time where it was like he just barely escaped. Just on a knife edge escaped Saul being able to apprehend him. And I don't, I, I don't understand all, all the purpose that God had in that. And I'm sure David didn't at the time. I mean, he anointed him, he anointed him to be king. Samuel comes to his house. He chooses him to be king about 15 years old. And from then, he's running for the next 10 years or so. He's not king till he's in Hebron till he's 23 so for at least eight years, his life is in great turmoil. You think, why did God do that? God was getting him ready for what he was going to use him for. A lot of times we don't understand the turmoil of the moment. We're saying, like, you know, God, just get me out of the turmoil of the moment. You know what God kept saying to David? Not yet. Because this involves more than just you, David. It also involves what I'm doing in the nation. It involves what I'm doing with Saul. You're just one piece of the puzzle. Sometimes we forget we're one piece of the puzzle. We think we're the whole show. <laughs> and we're not. But it doesn't mean God loves us less. It means that he's working through those situations. So when you get in trouble, do what David did. Run to God even if you don't understand it. Because David often said, what did I do now? What have I done? He would say, what have I done wrong that Saul would treat me this way? He, so he, he, didn't, he didn't fully comprehend 
or appreciate what was happening. So in it, he learned, the Lord's my refuge and strength and very present help in times of trouble. He's going to show up in my trouble. I can depend on him. I can trust in him. I can put the weight of my life on him. He knows what's best, even if I don't like it. When he sinned, and he did sin, and he did mess up, he fully repented. This is one of the attributes of David having a heart like God. God doesn't have to repent, but David was all in. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. So Nathan catches him. You know, he sinned with Bathsheba. He has sexually abused her. She's gotten pregnant. To cover it up, he's had Uriah the Hittite placed in the battle in a particular way where he would die. God referred to it as that he killed Uriah. Uh, God saw that as, as murder. So this had happened. So David had sinned greatly against God. It had gone on for a period of time. Uh, Nathan the prophet comes to rebuke him, tells him a story about a lamb, says, you're the man. And David, in that moment, realizing he's caught in his sin, he does something that our first parents didn't do, what Adam and Eve didn't do. When Adam and Eve were caught in sin, what did they do? They blamed each other. You know, Adam says, well, you know, Things were going pretty good here until you brought this woman around. It's the woman you gave me. And Eve says, well, it wasn't, you know, wasn't Adam's fault necessarily, but you made the snake. The snake enticed us. But David, David responds in that he fully repents. His, his, the first words out of his mouth are, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned. It's me. He doesn't say, well, you know, hey, if you'd send Bathsheba on that roof, you might have been tempted too, buddy. He doesn't blame Bathsheba. He doesn't blame the circumstances. He doesn't blame the people in the palace. He doesn't blame the prophet for not showing up sooner. Hey, you know, you could have warned me ahead of time. He just, he takes full responsibility. I have sinned against the Lord. Me. I did it. I've done it. I've sinned against the Lord. He took responsibility. And, there's a, and this just amazes me. I love this. this. This tells us of the nature and character of God. I love this. It says, and Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. I mean, it's a, the immediate response to David having sinned, and he's worthy of death. He's committed adultery. The punishment of the law, the just punishment of the law, is to be stoned to death. He should be killed as the king. He knows the law. He says in Psalms, I love your precepts. I love your law. Oh, God, I love your law. I'm not too crazy about this one right here. I love all the rest of them. He should have been judged by that. He wasn't judged by that. He was judged instead by the grace and mercy and the nature and the character of God. I have I've forgiven your sins. Immediately the Lord says, the Lord has taken away your sin. How did the Lord take away his sin? Jesus died on the cross to take away David's sin. Just like he died on the cross to take away your sin. 
I, I just love how quick God was to forgive. See how quick he was to forgive. Psalm 86, 5, David says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. You're forgiving and good. Here's what I want you to get from this today. God wasn't done with David when he messed up. And he's not done with you either. Your sin doesn't separate you from God being able to continue to use you. David sinned, and it was a gross, heinous sin. And God continued to use him for years and years to build his kingdom. There was more for David to do. You see, and here's the reality. When God said, I found a man after my own heart 10 years before he was born, God knew then that that guy was going to mess up. Right? God called him anyway. God knew you were going to mess up. He didn't stop loving you because of it. He didn't say, well, this one's going to be less than perfect. I don't know if you've recognized this, but if God only called perfect people that were never going to mess up, the building would look like this all the time empty because none of us would make it none of us would measure up we would still even though saved by grace having received the redemption of christ we still mess up and he still forgives us he called you knowing of your weakness paul said hey i've just learned to glory in my weaknesses because when i'm weak he's strong I love what Paul said this, because when we messed up, he makes it right. He made it right on the cross. He calls us. He doesn't want you to focus on what you did. He wants you to focus on what Christ has done. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself as having take hold of it. He said, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Paul had a lot of things behind him. I mean, he had persecuted the church before he was a Christian, and he had, he had taken people off so that they ended up being, dying for their faith in Christ. He had the blood of other Christians on his hands, and then he became a Christian. Then as a Christian, there was sometimes conflicts that he was a part of. And sometimes he was right, and sometimes he was wrong which is the nature of conflict, right? So he's looking, he's looking back. He's writing the Philippians. He's saying, you know, I'm about ready to be offered up. It's a, the, my time is at hand. He said, I want to tell you this. I want to forget what is behind, and I'm straining toward what is ahead. So often we let our past hold us from being effective in the present, and then if it if it makes us ineffective in the present, it certainly inhibits our, our future. We let the failures of the past mark us, define us. What defines us as believers? What defines us is not what we have done, but what Christ has done. I'm not defined by, by who I say I am. I'm defined by who he says I am. And he says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. He says, I'm a child of God. I'm the family of God. I'm an inheritor. 
of His divine nature. I'm a partaker of His divine nature so that I can look back not only just on what has happened with glory and goodness, but I can forget the things that are behind. I can press toward the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I just want you to get that today. David was a man like you and I, and he messed up, but he had a heart for God, and God was able to use that. And because, because of that, God took his past, broken, messed up, and continued to use him. I want to tell you today that God can continue to use you. You've messed up. Do what David did. Go to God. Give it to God. Trust him. Let him take away the, the blot of the past like he did with Paul, where Paul said, you know, I've got to forget those things that are behind. I want to forget the shame of the past. I want to be held in the bondage of the shame of the past. I want to walk in the liberty and the freedom of the Son of God because of what he did. I want to focus on what I did. I want to focus on his goodness and his grace and his mercy and what he did. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're so thankful for what you did. Every one of us have messed up. And the enemy of our souls would like to shame us and, and hinder us and inhibit us and keep us from moving forward, to always, always hold us in the failures of the past, the shortcomings of the past, the weaknesses of the past, the struggles of the moment. But Father, you came to set us free because Jesus died to make us what we cannot be on our own. He died to make us the righteousness of God in Christ. His sacrifice is complete his sacrifice is sufficient so that now, now we are the sons of God. And we don't know what we're going to be like when he appears, but we know this, we're going to be like him. Thank you, Father, for continuing to use, continuing to use broken vessels to your glory. Amen. Amen. Hope you have a great week. Can't wait to see you soon. Just be a little while and we'll be meeting together. Continue to pray for everyone that's struggling and hurting. And uh, we'll see you next week. I love you.